Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. And just in time for the 10th anniversary of that aforementioned website, it's the first installment of episode 40. In it, Graham McMillan and myself talk Time Master's Vanishing Point, the work of Dan Jurgens, the publicity surrounding Flashpoint, the Prism Awards, and we speculate on what goes on at the Marvel Sausage Factory that makes Spider Island roll off the assembly line. You also get my super unhappy review of Avengers 12.1 by Brian Bendis and Brian Hitch. It's nearly 70 minutes of non-stop anniversarial grousing, and we hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Just when I was about to send you an email going, are you online? Is everything okay? You call. It doesn't even say you're here. It's all of a sudden, it's just like, Jeff is calling you. Yeah, no, in fact, I... What the hell? <laughs> in fact, you showed up as offline to me, and I was like, okay, I is he not on yet? It's I'm after here. 11. So. I'm here. I even <laughs> rushed back from the waffle window <gasps> where I was with Kate's uh, mom and Kate. Um, to get here in time. Oh. And I have to say, do you want to know what's really funny? Asking people on the internet for questions and then going offline to go for the waffle window for a couple of hours. <laughs> I come back, I'd be like, wow, lots of people ask lots of questions. I didn't see any of them. <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy cow, there's a ton of these. And then I didn't hear back from him. I'm like, oh, I guess he's just busy. You were at the waffle window? I can't tell if I'm like really envious or incredibly touched that you came back. I'm like, mm. I, I I would be the farmer. <laughs> yeah, mm, waffle window. So have they changed their uh, their menu lineup at all? Uh, they have slightly. They've now got the tomato bees, which is my new favorite. Uh, which is the three Bs. Listeners, you have no idea what we're talking about, probably. Um, the waffle window is literally a window out of which they serve um, Belgian waffles, Belgian sugar waffles, with various toppings in Portland, um, which is very close to where I live. Jeff has been there. Jeff adores the waffle window with possibly an unhealthy fascination. Oh, absolutely um, unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. It's There's but, nothing healthy about it. Yeah. So they have something called the three bees, which you're aware of. They've now got something called the tomato bees, which is basil, brie, and tomatoes, mm-hmm. which is like my new favorite thing. I am I'm in love with that waffle. That's so good. Uh, and they've still got like the farm fusion with all the local uh, vegetables and, you know, the whole farm, which is the same with the bacon and the three bees still there. So it's all of that. Mm. Boy, oh boy, I cannot wait to get up there and get to that dang window again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> boy, oh boy. You know what we should do? What? We should do a podcast that we record live from the waffle window. Oh my god, that would be the best. Where everything is just punctuated by you going, mm, mm, mm. You'd just be like, oh my god, have you tried that? This is so good. And she comes up and asks us if we want another one. I'll be, no, no, we'll wait, wait. Actually, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That would be spectacular. Yes. Yes, I I agree. Uh, You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I have been trying to figure out. I will, of course, be in Portland during you know, our regular recording Wednesday. So I'm like, should we do it like live in the room? Like that seems sort that of would, crazy. That would be kind of weird. I was, uh, I was watching, uh, the Dr. Who in America, BBC documentary, and it shows, uh, Matt Smith being recorded for the Nerdist podcast. And it's literally like four dudes sitting around a laptop with headsets on. 
And I was kind of like, that is so unglamorous. And yet, I can't even imagine doing that. Do you know what I mean? I can't imagine talking to, but both of us are wearing headsets. Oh, I know. Like, wearing headsets and looking at one another, it seems very odd. <laughs> I like, know, it's kind of uncomfortable. It's like, no, we're at least talking about, talking about comics to each other through the internet. In person? No, that's weird. It's really weird, I know. I was like, on the other hand, it'd be way more weird if I, like, just called you from the guest room, you know? And That'd be hilarious. And then I could open my office door and you could open the guest room door and we could just stare at each other. <laughs> Oh, so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. <laughs> and then every night again, like, would look away. We'd be like, no, I can't do it. It's just, it, it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's too strange. <laughs> How are you doing? I am okay, I think. You know? Have you, have you read Flashpoint 1 already? No. Although I apparently, this podcast may get interrupted by the delivery of that. I got an email this morning, which is really unusual. I got an email this morning telling me the DC Comics publicity has sent me a package. Well. Um, which I guess can only be Flashpoint issue one. I would think. Right? Although, yeah, I, I mean, I can't imagine why else if they're doing an email. Although, who knows? Maybe it's just... Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Who, maybe it's something, like, utterly random. Yeah. Uh, Lock up Jeff Johnson's hair. That would be spectacular. <laughs> um, so, so, no, I haven't read it, but I even if I don't get delivered, I'll head to the store today to read it because I have to review it for Techland tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I will run by the store tomorrow, although I uh, I did hop online to at least get the last page spoiled this morning as long as I was. Oh, I, I have actually purposely tried to stay away from that. Where is it being spoiled so I can stay away? Is it DC's own blog, as they tend to do? No, I, no, no. I love that they do that. The day comics come out, they're like, this just happened, and you're like, you're fucking spoiling your own comics on the day of release? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta beat the pirates. I don't know. Uh, well, I, I heard I heard uh, David Brothers... Wait. He did not spoil it, but he mentioned the last page, and a few other people had mentioned the oh, last page. Great! So I'm going to stay away from Twitter until I read it. No, 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 because I don't think I don't think anyone actually has spoiled it. I just knew that the last page had a twist. Oh, well, I, I, yeah, I know that it has a twist. I just don't know what it is. Right, and then what I did was I just googled last page flashpoint one. Oh, okay. okay. I found a page that you know found found somebody's are, are you that are you appalled? No, I mean, I was kind of like, huh, really? I guess that's uh, whatever. I mean, you know, it's sort of a, um, it's kind of a clever twist for for a time travel Elseworlds type thing. I don't, I don't necessarily know how it plays into the rest of the issue, but I. Didn't. Hey, so talking about that, you know how I told you I hadn't read any comics over the last week? Yes. Well, first of all, it's completely not true because I've been. <laughs> I've been reading uh, trades from the library, but one of those trades is Time Master's Vanishing Point, which was the Dan Jurgens tie-in to the return of Bruce Wayne that everyone was like, it ends up being a lead-in to Flashpoint. Right. <laughs> Jeff, you have to read it, because I swear to God, it's one of the worst written comics in the world. I have, re- <laughs> I have read it twice, and I still am not entirely sure what the story was. It's like it was written by a five-year-old with ADD. Because it starts off with uh, Rip Hunter being like, I am Booster Gold's son, and I have to prepare the, repair the timeline. Here is Batman. He's not dead after all. I'll have to find him. Then it cuts to him looking for him with the superheroes, and he's like, fuck you guys for coming along. <laughs> then for five issues after that, other things happen. Like, just, just random other things like, you know, here is... 
I can't even, it's oh god, I can't even remember the, the villain's name. They're like there's some other villain who destroys Vanishing Point, uh, but then they undo the destroying of Vanishing Point at the end because Bruce Wayne hasn't been there yet. So it all happens before the return of Bruce Wayne. Uh, and, but there's these like two generic villains who are like, we are trying to rewrite the time stream in the middle of it. Uh, Reverse Flash shows up and he's like, I'm trying to steal Darkseid's energy so I can rewrite time, and then fucks off. <laughs> And the end of it is that being like, well, that's fine. And then they turn around to like, Rip Hunter's chalkboard has all these like, you know, who is Shade the Changing Man? He's like, I didn't write that. And that's it. <laughs> it's stunningly bad. It's, I mean, I can't imagine anyone who was buying it in single issues would have made it through the six issues unless they were masochists. Because chapter to chapter, there's no continuous story. Like, oh, that's not true. There's a continuous story. There's no continuous through line. There's no common sense behind the entire thing. Yes. And, like, they keep on playing up two things. One, the Rip Hunter is Booster Gold's kid. And two, that everyone thinks Booster Gold is an asshole, but he's really the protector of the timeline, but no one knows it. So you get Green Lantern just being a dick issue after issue. He's like, <laughs> fuck you, Booster. You've probably got a reality show, huh? Ha ha ha. It's so bad. Graham, I, I have to say, the closer that we get to you performing the comics, the better the podcast gets. <laughs> uh, that was much better than, than um, the Fosgacy Flashpoint. Time Master's Vanishing Point actually is. Wow. It's wow. really, really, really bad. Mm. Mm. And also made me like Flashpoints less just because it's <laughs> just it was associated. You're just like, well, fuck you, Flashpoint, for causing this to happen. Uh, yeah, I, uh, is that, is that the, uh, is that the mini series in which they yes. start talking about new time? I can't even believe that you got, no, yes no, 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 they don't talk about a uh, new time. I don't, mm-hmm. I maybe, I, I don't think they do. I might've, like I said, I've read it twice, but I might've forgotten that in the sheer deluge of shit. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like during the... Dragons- Build up to Flashpoint, like they had a couple, like no, 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 that, no, that, that's that's in um, that's actually in Flash itself. You get you get cards. Oh, oh, oh. and maybe in Booster Gold as well. Now that I think about it, maybe possible. I know, I know the Booster Gold has like a tie-in issue, right? Um, but no, you have. Do you did you read Dan Jurgens' Superman run in the nineties? Uh, very little of it. Okay, so there, there became a point, and I want to say it was. After the death, but before the marriage, mm-hmm. where Dan Jurgens suddenly decided it was a great idea to not only follow up on Ar- Armageddon 2001, right. the successful miniseries event of 1991, uh, right. but also um, Bob Wayne's Time Master series from like 1989, maybe. Um, and he ties it all together with the linear men who oh, like right. are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. I remember them. This time master series is no joke, a sequel to that more than it's anything else. Yes. So to the point where he brings back the linear men and turns one of them into the new wave rider. Wait, who is the old wave rider? The old wave rider, um well <laughs> this the fact that I have an answer to this shows how much I read terrible DC comics. Uh, and the fact that I can now explain how they're all connected shows that I have read too many comics in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old wave writer was 
uh, Matthew Ryder from an alternate dimension in which someone who was originally supposed to be Captain Atom and then ended up being Hawk um, became a despot called Monarch. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, for some reason I thought that the I thought that was the Wave Rider. So is the guy well, that, 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 that was of... the Wave Rider, but he gets killed in Fifty Two. Oh, he does. Yeah, he does. Wave, Wave Rider gets Wave Rider gets killed in Fifty Two um, by Skeets, by evil Skeets. Oh, that's who Skeets kills. Okay, I remember Skeets killing somebody, and, uh, and honestly, in, right. but here's the thing. That's alternate Matthew Ryder, okay? Matthew Ryder from the DC Universe uh, reality is also a member of the Linear Men. <laughs> so he shows up in this series, in Time Ma- in this Time Master series, right. with um, his his ty- his Linear Man girlfriend, who's like <laughs> who's called like Leary Lee. I'm, I might be mis- Lori Lee, maybe, uh, and she becomes the new Time Master uh, and the new Wave Rider. Sorry, right. Uh, for no immediately apparent reason. <laughs> well, I do kind of like that whole, like, you know, how old school Dan Jurgens is that it's like, oh, it's, okay. It's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Also, the villains of Time Masters. <laughs> Apparently, uh, there's Paradegaton, the Ultra Humanite, and the Black Beetle. The Black Beetle, who is a Booster Gold villain, <laughs> for no reason whatsoever unlike his previous appearances, is colored red throughout the entire series. (laughs) You think with a name like the Black Beetle, he might be colored black. You'd think, but... Or even blue, as he was in his earlier appearances. No, he's colored red. (laughs) No one one comments on it. No one's like, why are you called the Black Beetle when you're quite clearly red? Probably because he'd be like, you must die. Um, Yeah, it's it's, it's terrible. It's... And the best part is, so it ends with, essentially, like I said, Rip Hunter going back and being like, phew, everything's fine. But before that, like, that's at the end of, like, a uh, time jump, excuse the pun. Uh-huh. Uh, pretty much, it ends with Superman and Green Lantern and Bruce Gold and Rip Hunter being like, now we can finally search for Batman. Phew. <laughs> I know, yeah. we've got all that out of the way. <laughs> I have to admit, I never, like, even when Jurgens was was huge, I was never really into his stuff. It was I, I of... loved his Booster Gold. Loved his Booster Gold. Like, the original Booster Gold. Right. Um, and I really liked his first few years in Superman. Yeah. I, it... pretty, pretty much right up until the... I mean, I'm going to say, like, the return of Superman. I thought he was, he was he did good stuff in Superman. Sure. I mean, I could see him working at it. He always seems uh, competent, you know. But here's the thing. I think one of the reasons I liked him back then, besides the fact that I was very young, mm-hmm. was that he seemed like, and this is going to sound like a terrible insult, it's only meant to be a slight insult, um, he seemed like the poor man's John Byrne. I was just thinking that. I was going to say, part of his appeal really seemed to be that he was like the generic foods equivalent of John Byrne. Yeah, and I I think that was really a a selling point for him, for want of a better way of putting it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And like I said, he seemed, I mean, he had the... His stuff wasn't nearly, and it's amazing. You can now, you know, it, people who listen to us now find it hard to believe you could ever use this adjective with John Byrne. But he seemed like a less dynamic John Byrne, but he had kind of less of the eccentricities, sort of. And you know, it's like he he seemed really committed to telling a story and to the characters and hitting the story beats. He was just incredibly bland. I never found. I mean, admittedly, I didn't follow his original. 
uh, Booster Gold stuff, but by the time that he took over on um, on Superman, you know, he kind of he just it, I I was just like, yeah, this is this is okay, but it really struck me as just incredibly bland generic comics. Clearly, they were were big at the time, and he had stuff that he liked. Obviously, Booster Gold and his time stuff and God, that fucking cyborg Superman character that you could just never fucking get rid of. Um, and then Jeff Jones is like, you know who we should bring back? Cyborg Superman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, oh, which really, of all the villains to bring back for Green Lantern, that, that still kind of takes me by surprise. Well, it takes me by surprise, but I have to say that, uh, as I recall reading the storyline, having him ally up with the Manhunters made a lot of sense. You know, I, I can't really say that... You know, it, it's it's one of those weird things where it's like, I, I guess I'm willing to cut Jeff Johns a certain amount of slack, but when he thinks of pairings, sometimes they make, they, like I said, they just sort of generally make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. And, and it seems like if he had, if, you know, if Jeff Johns has his, you know, uh, nostalgia quotient, and he, he clearly does, um, I could never see it past the influence of the Mortal Kombat video games. You know what so, I mean? Here's a Jeff Jones-related question that's also tying into Flashpoint. And we can get back to, like, completely roasting Dan Jurgens in a second. <laughs> um, is it just me or is Flashpoint the most creator-led promotion for, uh, for seri- an event series? I feel like Flashpoint is really being sold in Jeff Jones' name in a way that no other event series has. And it's not just that he's written the main series is when you read the interviews with the other creators, right. they're all like, well, Jeff has created an amazing world. It's all down to Jeff. Right. And the, the, the image the DC released today as like, you know, the last oh, sell yeah. for the thing has a quote from Jeff Johns. Yeah, I thought that like was a quote really from Captain. Mm-hmm. I was like, I really feel like Jeff Johns is being pushed in, for the series, not the story. Right. I feel like the selling point for Flashpoint is it's Jeff Johns, everyone. Right. Well, okay. I personally think that there is uh, damage control there. Maybe I could be wrong, but I just think they think were... people are just like, I don't want to read Flashpoint, and they're like, it's Jeff Jones. <laughs> well, not not just I want to leave. I don't want to read Flashpoint, but when it looked like Flashpoint had like thirty tie-ins, and it just seemed incredibly crass and commercial, and also kind of that sense of like. It's just a bunch of people doing their thing or a lot of DC editors, you know, editorial types getting, you know, writing credits under their belt. Uh, I really feel like the last push has been this idea of like, no, 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 no. This is a unified concept. It's coming from Jeff Johns, which is about as close as they have to a gold standard at, at DC and that it's all it's all coherent. It's all stemming from him, you know, and I don't know if they would have taken that particular attack if they hadn't turned around announced you know 20, 20 tie-ins yeah. exactly and the response on the web was unanimously well fuck this I'm just jumping this looks like a big the crazy mess. the crazy thing about that was I wrote about this for uh, blog at Newsarama today mm-hmm. the, okay so 20 tie-ins is the most amount of title branded tie-ins that any event has ever had right like even Fear Itself is below that even Fear, Fear Itself has got at 13 right now However, in terms of individual issues that tie in, mm-hmm. Flashpoint is so much smaller than even Blackest Night. Really? There's only there's only sixty two issues to Flashpoint. Oh, okay. So it's like more tie ins, but less less issues. Then? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. And like, for example, um, Secret Invasion. 
mm-hmm. has 97 issues, and that's not including the, the Prelude stuff. Wow. Right. Okay? Flashpoint, including the Prelude, is mm-hmm. 66 issues. Oh, my God. Well, Which yeah. I took wrong. It's a lot of comics. Right. But it's, you know, a third less than Secret Invasion. Right. Right. Well, I, and even uh, it's just because they said here's twenty titles, they're all coming at the same month, right? It, everyone was just like, "What the fuck? No!" Right, exactly. I, and I think that's it. I think everybody just kind of had an instant, you know, kind of it activated the consumer gag reflex there, and everyone was like, "Ugh, no!" But yeah, no, absolutely. When you look back on, I was thinking about House of M this morning. In part because it sort of seems, you know, it, it's another it's, it's, thing. It's, 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 it seems like House of M, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, House of M had just a slew of, you know, tie-ins in terms of it had like something like, you know, I don't know, eight titles that had four-issue miniseries, you know, as as well as some other stuff. So, and, and that was like years ago. I mean, I guess saying that out loud, I'm like, huh, that's really not that much. That was and and I, I'm going to blow your mind slightly. It was only, only five. Oh, was it? Yeah, I actually I did the math. Do you want me to tell you the math? Because I have oh, it in front please, of please, absolutely. Um, okay, so House of M had five spinoffs, by which I mean spinoffs where the titles include the name of the main series. Okay, that seems fair enough. Okay, House of M had five during its initial run, and then added an additional two after that. Mm-hmm. But I'm only counting those five because the other ones were like legitimate sequels. Right. Civil War only had seven, which really surprised me. Huh, I thought Civil War had like 20 million, but no, only seven. Well, See, okay, and this is where I have to interrupt you, because by your own rubric, you're not including issues where uh, regular issues of the title. No, no, I'm only I'm only including okay. new launches that include the title of the series that it, they come from. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I, I was just going to say, I can see why Civil War would surprise us then, because, of course, every Marvel book had everything tied in Civil War. Yeah. Cover branding, yeah. So, okay. Um, okay. Secret Invasion had 11. Uh huh. Blackest Night had 7. Hmm. Siege had 7. Shadowland, of all things, had 8. Right. Shadowland had more than Siege, which is wow. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Final Crisis had 6. Mm hmm. Um,. Fear itself is thirteen right now, and Flashpoint is twenty. Right, and, and I'm sorry, you mentioned Blackest Night. How many in the in Blackest Seven. Night? Seven. Okay. Huh. Wow. I know they all seems bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They all did. Well, again, I think that's like I said, the the illusion of, of well, it's not even the illusion. Well, it's but, it's yeah. the fact that you know Blackest Night and Civil War, for example, tied in with so many regular issues of the books. Exactly. Whereas, exactly. like Flashpoint, they've said there's only one regular ongoing title that's going to tie in with. Right. Right. So, I mean, in a way, it's kind of, I don't know, not that bad. I just think that there's some timing things and some ideas that they were sort of screwy about. So, Yeah, I, I think if they'd staggered them the same way that they staggered the Blackest Night ones, mm-hmm. I think everything would have been so much better for them. Yeah, I think I think so as well. I think but it's, the, the other thing is, um, Fear, uh, Flashpoint is so much smaller, shorter series. It's five issues. Right, right. Which I, for some reason, thought it was another eight-issue series. It's five issues. Wow. Wow. That's kind of amazing to me. Yeah, no, that's... what. So, yeah, I mean, I, it kind of seems like like just DC, despite the fact that they've got a powerful marketing machine that is sending packages to you in the middle of the morning, I, 
needs to kind of get a handle on. They don't oh, really seem to be able to control their message the way. They yeah, they now. they fucked this one up mm-hmm. terribly, really, really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about this earlier in the week, and I just realized we have questions that we were let's get to as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was thinking earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have done Flashpoint. If you think of the end of Brightest Day, it right. chews up all this stuff mm-hmm. that they're then ignoring for five months. Right. right, right Flashpoint right. seems like a distraction right now, especially because it's an alternate world story. Well, I... Th- yeah. I mean, I think they had it in the hopper for a long time, you know. It, then they should have thinks- delayed it or something. It just feels... I don't know. It, it feels like it's almost in the way, I think. Right. right. Yeah, I mean, I, I see your point. We'll see. I guess we'll see where things are going. I certainly think because Johns has a certain amount of, you know, because he's tied into to both, maybe he'll weave them together and it'll seem a little more organic. I don't know. For all we know, the, the last page of Flashpoint might be Swamp Thing being like, I'm here too! <laughs> That's right. That'd like, be awesome. Jeff, you already did that. He's like, oh, did I shit? God, I'm writing too much stuff. Really? Did I did I bring back Constantine too? Fuck. Oh. <laughs> I feel like, that's okay. Everyone forget. Next issue has dead man. <laughs> really? Oh, crap. <laughs> but he's, he's White Lantern dead man. Shit. Damn it. Oh, I, guys, I'm really sorry. I must have gotten like my two Microsoft Word files kind of like at one point I was saving in one when I thought I was the other. Jeez, holy cow. Well, we'll just make this up to them. We, exactly. Let's, let's just add another few months on Flashlight. It'll be fine. It'll be great. And, we'll, and then we'll bring in Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> but this time, it's Game and Sandman, but he's wearing the Kirby costume. Perfect. He's like bleached white. You never explain why. He's like punching guys and we'll make Sandy his sidekick. Uh, give me a second here. Deal be the Kid Flash. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But Kid Flash on heroin. We can get another Prism Awards. Oh, God. (laughs) Wow, that Prism Award thing. God bless them. I I, I have to give it it up for for Rich for actually asking them why. Like, why? And they actually, yeah. 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 No, but here's the thing. They aren't looking at comics. (laughs) Like, it's some guy who reads Marvel and DC. Did you see what was nominated? I mean, really, when you see what was nominated, I am perfectly okay with Rise of Arsenal. <laughs> Seriously, the Rise of Arsenal versus Siege's portrayal of Sentry's mental issues? <laughs> really? That's what they had up? Man, yeah. oh dear. Like, it, it was it was weak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Um... Someone for Prism, like, they should get someone who actually reads comics. <laughs> controversial i know but no they really should they should get someone who's like hey you know what i've read i read a comic that wasn't published by marvel and dc people would be like whoa 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 first there, of- yeah there's comics that aren't published by marvel and dc right exactly Wait, who's the guy who published superman exactly yeah. america come on what we're very, we're very confused now remind me whiteout was that marvel or was that dc because i i don't remember anymore so. oh whiteout um, okay, wait. I'm going to get go at lunch into the questions because we've kind of answered Andrew Bears, which was what the hell flashpoint. Is there any reason that you care about it? Right. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I'm going to say 
maybe if you like Jeff Johns. Like, I'm in, I'm interested in the core series, at least enough to read the first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I am fairly definite that I'm not going to read any of the tie-ins, with the possible exception of the Peter Milligan one, just because it's Shade the Changing Man, and it's also Amethyst, Princess of Gem Worlds. Wow. Exactly. And part of me is like, okay, that might have my attention, but that's right. about it. Um, the whole idea that you know Aquaman is at war with the Wonder Woman because the Amazons have taken over Europe is like seriously. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> like I, I am a DC fanboy, and that is not interesting to me. Well, I wanted to ask you because I had this, um, I, I had this feeling like you, you know, John's in an earlier, uh, pretty early on in his Teen Titans run, he basically, um what's the word, pilfered through Alan Moore's Twilight pitch to set up his whole House of Titans. Oh, yeah, 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 the future thing, yeah. Yeah, I sort of wondered when I heard about, like, Aquaman warring with Wonder Woman, you know, I, I was like, okay, are they doing, is he is he once again trying to, to pull a Twilight riff out of this? But I, I haven't looked at it closely. I am to willing it. to bet, probably. Yeah, it, there's certain amounts of it. What, um, what I don't think Jones gets the credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can call it credit or blame, is <laughs> I honestly think there's something fascinating about the way that John's uh, remixes DC Comics culture, whether or not it's seen print. Mm, yeah, right. He seems to consider anything, anything about DC Comics characters fair game to rip off. Well, I think actually he's... He, and I think I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that, that he really does very well is he seems super aware of how these... Jeff? Are, yes, did I cut out on you? Hello? Jeff, I think you've totally disappeared. Oh, no. Graham, can you hear me? I, I can hear you now. You've completely disappeared for a while. Really? Okay. Uh, yes. Hmm, well, hopefully... And the weird thing was, the weird thing was, I actually heard you start sentence and then end sentence. <laughs> Perhaps I did. What did you stop talking for about two minutes? No, no, no. I was talking the whole time. I thought. Uh, then, then at some point you doubled back on yourself and finished the sentence that you started before you, just, <laughs> which is a, a true skill, sir. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm kind of horrified about how that's going to actually sound when I edit it. It'll be like, huh? Maybe I'll just cut out the part where Graham sounds alarmed and the two minute part, <laughs> and we'll just continue. Uh, I, I like the fact that John's um, has is, and perhaps this is why he has his you know current position in DC that he does is he seems to have a very good sense of who the characters are to the world at large and what we know about them. You mm-hmm. know? So and, oh yeah, no, definitely. I, I think yeah. he's a really good uh, synthesis for want of a better way of putting it. Exactly, exactly. I'm still shocked that they haven't had you know Captain Marvel like end up quasi-depowered and traveling around in a van with, like, mentor, you know, just, like, from a shout-out from the old live-action show in the 70s. Like, you know, he just really seems very in tune with that sort of stuff. I, I, I will go further. I'm really surprised we haven't seen a Jeff Jones Captain Marvel series yet. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised, too. It seems um, like the one character that he would have uh, an ability to do and if and the one character who needs someone to step in and be like, this is how you do Captain Marvel, everyone. 
Well, you know, I, here's the thing that I think is really weird, because and it ties into one of the questions that someone had asked <clears throat> uh, today. Um, is I'm not really sure that Captain Marvel is a character that that people really care about. You know, like every once in a while, you get he's a he's a character that creators care about, but readers don't necessarily care about. And I like the Doctor Strange thing. Someone asked exactly, exactly. Yeah, that 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 was indeed going to be my tie-in. It's like there are certain characters that every creator wants a crack at, and the marketplace, the at the populace at large, just doesn't get it. And people are always like, "Oh, but no, you know, my pitch, my take on Captain Marvel. This is going to be what what people really want." But you know, I mean, even years after the fact, I'd be really shocked if if uh, Jeff Smith's Captain Marvel moves in the marketplace at all any copies in a significant way i may be showing my biases but i kind of hope it does because i think it's a spectacular book whether whether or not you like captain marvel i think it's just a really good kids book i i totally agree with you and yet like i said i have the sneaking suspicion that it kind of doesn't but it should don't get me wrong and there's any number of of takes on Captain Marvel and or Doctor Strange that I would like to see. Well, you know. that's just that. I mean, so so let's answer Al's question, which okay. was, we're told every comics creator has a Doctor Strange pitch, so why is there no Strange book? They can't all be crap pitches. I don't think they are all crap pitches. I think, for example, the Brian K. Vaughan Doctor Strange book was spectacular. Oh, yeah, that was very, very strong. Um, but I think you're right. I don't think, I don't think enough people want to read it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just, they're just characters that I think are you know, come with the times or they just end up being like a little complex to have like an immediate appeal, uh, you know, and this is the thing. There are dudes like, you know, like Jeff Johns, for example, has, I thought in the past done a pretty good job of taking characters and being like, Oh no, here's how you make them work. And suddenly the marketplace is like, yes, absolutely. But honestly, I do not think that, I don't think that Dr. Dr. Strange is one of those characters that's fallen out of favor. And even though I think you could make an awesome Marvel movie with him so easily. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily. I, I, I think he's one of those characters who doesn't necessarily work, like, actually, like, Blade. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily work in comics, right. but would work outside of comics yeah. better than a lot of mainstream comics characters. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, if you look at the stuff that people are doing now with summer tentpole movies and 3D special effects... Doctor Strange would be so perfect for that. I mean, it's just a slam dunk of a first movie, at least, you know. But I think the the comics, when you are there looking at them, I think people are just kind of caught between like, eh, I don't care about this this character or this take or whatever. So, yeah, I think, you know, as you point out, uh, and in fact, who, who, who was the artist? Was that Marcos Martin? Who, it was uh, Marcos Juan? Martin, yeah. Yeah, which, and just, it, which just, is just one of the major reasons that it's such a good book. It just, it looks and reads spectacularly well. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. It just looks right. And in fact, Martin's work has, I think, only gotten better since. So I would, I would love to see him return to the character in some way, you know, but yeah, I just, like I said, I don't, him, Captain Marvel, I guess if we had time, we could probably make a list of, like, well, dudes that are just... Here's the thing. I think a lot of, I think all of the brightest day characters are that. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if the idea that they're going to launch an Aquaman and a Firestar series off the back of brightest day, mm-hmm. if Johns just doesn't stay with them, right. I'll be really surprised if they make two years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is Which is why I think that it's 
you know, it seems ludicrous to me that they're doing it that way as opposed to having reinvented all the characters and folding them into a team book and then pursuing all their storylines that way. The same no, I, way I, together. I completely agree. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that seems sort of silly to me. Uh, but yeah, Doctor Strange is just one of those characters that, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think we probably answered the question. You, you know, another uh, character set like that that I'm really surprised is making a comeback, Cloak and Dagger. Mm. I, I know that everyone's like, I've had a Cloak and Dagger match, blah, blah, blah. The idea that Nick's best bring back as part of Spider Island is like, this is so incredibly random. <laughs> Spider Island. <laughs> I know. I'm having trouble with Spider Island anyway. Like, Spider Island seems like the goofiest. I'm really glad that there are dudes like Paul Tobin's going to be doing work through it. I'm glad that, you know, Nick Nick Spencer, who's everywhere, is doing something. But it really just seems like that, like, they just threw a bunch of stuff in, like, the random, you know, event generator. And those were all the words that popped out. Because I'm, I'm really, like, I just, I cannot see anyone giving two shits about Spider Island. You know, they oh, dance lot loves it. I don't know. It, I I almost like it as a schlocky idea. I don't think it's enough of a schlocky idea to be an event, though. Well, see, that's it. It's the 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 only part of it that really seems appealing is the is the schlockiness of it. You know, like it it should be, um, you know, Dino Squid versus Spider Island or Shark Octopus or you know what I mean. Like it. Yeah. It seems like a cheesy movie. So the idea that you're actually going to turn a cheesy movie into sort of a high-end big event seems to me and i could be wrong um the way that shadowland had a similar like i just feel the hand of stephen wacker there you know of like oh we can turn this into an event yeah we'll just do a whole bunch of these things and it'll end up being really awesome because it's an event and therefore people will think it's really awesome you know well, I guess part of the response to that is, was Shadow on the hit? Well, but my thing is is that from the sense of Wacker was able to get all those titles into print and was able to give work to people that he wanted, quote unquote, yes, but no. I mean, if you look at the sales, the Shadowland stuff sold like slop, like low-end event slop. And I would say arguably weakened... The, the, the main the Shadowland brand. miniseries. Well, yeah, I don't know but, about the brand, but, but Shadowland itself, the event. But I here's think. the thing. As I understand it, Marvel editorial groups ah, yes. need to have a certain number of books per year. Right. So that's probably where it's coming from. Yeah, but I think what happens is everyone gets a shot at being, you know, all the editors get a chance at... at at pitching for those two events or the two smaller events, you know, and they get a chance to get out there and hustle and make their case. And I just sense that, cause I, I can't really imagine that, you know, whatever else was going on at the creative summit was actually that much worse an idea than spider Island. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but you know what I mean? Like it really just seems to me that people are like, well, we need to have an event. Nothing's really jumped up. Oh, I I don't, I don't think that's how spider Island Island came around at all. Yeah. Because I think that we need to have an event would have all been focused around fear itself. I think spider Island is much more. Dan Slott came up with this idea. He thinks it's really funny. Stephen Wacker thinks it's really funny. Stephen Wacker thinks that he can use that to eke out, you know, two series or whatever. Addition right. to it, 
uh, fulfill contractual obligations to people for pages or whatever. I, I don't think it's a, we need an event we'll base around Spider Island. I think it's Spider Island is here. I need to give these people work. This is what I'm going to do. Maybe. I mean, who knows? I, 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 when I say who knows, I just mean in the sense of like, I can see that. I also see a problem from the more that the curtain gets pulled back on Marvel. And I think you did an awesome job with that Joe Casada quote, kind of yanking it back. Uh, oh God! Did, I get did you see the Breaver one? No, the Breaver one where he actually just came out. It was like, yeah, fans pissed off, sales better. When fans are happy, sales are soft. We want to piss people off, right? I mean, again, no surprise, but it's just like, don't just fulfill my son's lord <laughs> expectations for you. Well, you know, I think you can only get up and say the same thing so many times. You know, I think they did a pretty good job with the first four or five years going, no, 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 we want it to matter. We want it to matter. And ultimately, I think they just got tired of even someone like uh, like Tom Prefort got tired of being portrayed as a heavy and is just like, look, this is this is what you guys want. This is what sales. If you don't want it, don't buy it or support the stuff that's good. But I mean, you know, I, I think that... Uh, you know, it, ultimately, I mean, and so that's what I feel is, is like you said, Marvel, every, all of this seems to be coming from the top down. Like, I think they do a pretty good job getting creative people to, to create, you know, widget A and tab Bs. But I think the people at the top are saying, okay, we need this many widget A's and we need this many tab Bs to fit them into. And, you know, your budget is blank. Because that's the thing. I, I maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, you know, it'd be really interesting to find out. Do these editors get like an operating budget for their books for the year, or like you know, because turning around and and pitching something that's going to be a mini event that has a certain amount of mini series, I would think that people are either jostling to do that or there's some sort of competition. You know what I mean? Like you can't just turn around and come back from lunch and go, Hey, good news. I created an event and uh, we've got five titles coming out of it. You know, I'm sure it's got to be run up the flagpole. uh, Or like I said, I sort of feel like they're the, you know, the flagpole does the talking and people are like, okay, well it's, you know, it's like whacker. You got an, you know, it's now your turn to do another mini event and we'll see how well we can get it, you know, hyped and out the door, and maybe it'll do better than twenty four thousand copies this time. You know? we're, we're, we're so cynical. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that both of us are just like, yeah, that's the way it works. There's no way you can actually be genuinely excited about this. <laughs> well, I mean, this this is my thing to get back to fear itself and the worthy. When I was like, I mean, who cares? Like, I don't, I don't really. For me, there was something that was kind of inherently like. Marvel kept telling me that this was going to be awesome and I should care about who the worthy were. And I'm kind of like, I don't, but I don't, I don't know anything about them. That term means nothing to me. Once you show me big dudes holding hammers, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, no, exactly. But that's the way these things are always sold now. It's never, here is a concept. This is what the concept is. Isn't that exciting? It's Mm -hmm. here is a name. Be excited. Right. Here is an image. Be excited. It's never, we will actually sell you on the concept. It's always, there is a concept. (laughs) But but it is. Or sometimes not even there is a concept. It's, you know, here is something. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. 
Well, yeah, exactly. Are, are supposed something. to be enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. And and maybe it is for, for a huge chunk of but people. But I'm like... It seems to... Well, here's the thing. It is, and it isn't. It mm-hmm. is for the people who are already there. Mm-hmm. But there are so many people no longer there. Right. Right. That you've got to consider that it's it's not working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. No, agreed. Agreed. And it's and it's such a you can't tell. I mean, there's there's ways in which I would be really curious like if the market if the economy was awesome, if we were just not in the shitter financially in the United States and people had jobs and people had disposable income, what these numbers would really look like, you know, because I, I think they wouldn't look that different. They might. Be- I was going to say, I honestly don't think that the economy is massively affecting these things because with the best will in the world, I think the majority of comic fans are not the most sensible with their money. I think they will. I think they will continue to buy the books they love no matter what. Well, yes and no. I, th- yes I think no. I think you lose the casual reader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure the casual reader. I'm not sure this plays to the casual reader anyway. Well, I guess. I guess what I'm saying is, is right. I mean, this that's part of my problem. Is is that I don't feel that this stuff is placed to. I think that actually the hardcore shrink the smallest and at the slowest speed, which is part of why the you know why the companies try even harder and harder to court them. You know, it's just sort of that simple economics, but. But I, there have been dudes who, like, you know, there there are people who probably, you know, yeah, once they, they got unemployed, they continued to spend their unemployment check on comics or part of it. But after two years, they couldn't do that anymore. You know what I mean? There are, I think there are people who have been, like, out of work or barely scraping by for a long time now. Um, but I honestly feel that if we had, you know come through and everything's fine and we're back to 2000 you know the the economy is in its pre-2001 state i kind of feel like we wouldn't see that much more larger sales i i I honestly do think that we would be seeing people hovering around you know the 140 150,000 point you know as opposed to under the 80 to 95,000 sales point Mm -hmm. and and that again that's still far below what what civil war was really selling you know yeah i mean it it really was so i don't know i it you know (laughs) this is great (laughs) we really are not going to answer any other questions today no we Uh, are we totally are because after this we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back for a second podcast where all we're going to do is the questions that i've right i've decided do do I get to complain about Avengers? Yeah, that's what you're going to do before we point? before we finish with this. You have okay. to finish your point now. Complain about Avengers one by one. Then we'll come back and it'll all be questions. Right. So <laughs> right. There we go. So cynically. So like I yeah I I personally think that these event cycles are being driven by something that you know has it that it it makes every bit of sense that you and I would become more cynical because I think the more you go through them. 
you either become cynical and you stay in the marketplace or you kind of get out. get out of the marketplace. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, and there's probably people who are still super excited about this stuff who have not been around as long as us generally. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but, but maybe not. Like, I, I, I think that, for example, uh, even somebody who has incredible amounts of enthusiasm and interest in what the big two are putting out, like, l- let's say David Uzumeri, I think he, I don't know if he's actually excited about Spider Island, for example, but I also get the sense that I, I am aware that he's, you know, younger than you or I in that sense. So, and I, I think that helps the youth, it gives them a certain edge over the, the, the otherwise grinding cynicism. Speaking of grinding cynicism, that, this Avengers is the part 12.1. I have really been looking forward to. Dear <laughs> listeners, Jeff and I had an email exchange earlier on this morning where we we're both like, we haven't really read that much since the last podcast we recorded. Uh, so maybe we should take some questions, which is why I asked for questions. However, Jeff said that he had read Avengers 12.1, but that he really didn't like it, and he basically didn't want to blind us with his vitriol against it. I requested the vitriol, because I don't know about you, dear listener, I am... <laughs> dying to hear this <laughs> well go I, okay yes exactly with like that huge uh all that put in place uh it'd be great to turn around and go you know actually i reread it and kind of like <laughs> yeah it's kind of uh, good huh? so what was, so what was it Cause i read it and i didn't like it but i also right. didn't have an insane amount of vitriol beyond it's very traditional bendis it's very traditional hitch it's very traditional marvel like i i i my any vitriol I had against it was completely dulled by the fact of I didn't expect anything more from any of those people. Right, right. Well, okay. Um, uh, the one thing that I will give it in its favor is there were two or three points where I was totally sure. And and allow me to say, in the interest of full disclosure, that I read a copy of this on the web. Um, provided by a compatriot. So I, what? Yeah, exactly. So I did not read this as an actual comic book, but rather uh, via the miracle of of C display and the CBR file of Avengers twelve point one. So, um, and maybe that actually affected things on this reading. Actually, the one thing that <laughs> I, yes. I don't know because as someone who read it as a comic, I, I doubt it. Well, the the one thing that I did like is actually when Iron Man, for example, breaks in, I kind of thought, oh, okay, this is where Bendis would actually end the comic. And then instead it follows with all the Avengers breaking in, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is probably where they'll end the comic. And then they have like maybe three, two, three pages of fights or something, and I'm kind of like, oh, hey, this is actually pretty active for a, a, an Avengers. Like, it's pretty yeah. well-paced. Like, by now, I'd expect the issue to be over. So... Well, and the then, issue is a good 10 pages longer than normal. I think it's like 30... Uh, I, I might be wrong. It might be like 32 pages of actual comics. Right. It's got to be. It's got to be, because I was like, okay, my little internal clock, even without... You know, when you have a comic book in your hands, you can kind of tell. So, like, by the time that uh, the panel with Ultron is back pops up, I'm like, okay, that's going to be the end of the issue. And then there's a Fallout scene. There's all this other stuff. There's actually... It's only, like, three or four pages after that, but it's got a double-page spread and all that sort of... Et cetera, et cetera. So, let me, let me talk about why I... I kind of fucking hated this is uh one of the things that kind of appalled me is unless i'm mistaken 
Spider-Woman goes off on her, you know, has been aside by sword to look into this thing. She gets, you know, sidetracked and captured by the intelligentsia, uh, one of whom is, unless I'm mistaken, the fucking wizard, right? The yes. quote-unquote wingless wizard. Yes. Okay. So my understanding is that Brian Bendis is a Marvel quote-unquote architect. And Jonathan Hickman is a quote-unquote Marvel architect. And, <laughs> I, I, it doesn't really tie in with what's going on in FX, is what you're saying? I No, not at all. I was kind of like, I had this moment where I'm like, oh, so I thought that the wizard was had been like kidnapped at the beginning of FF1 or rescued, I guess, by the 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 null life cult or the cult of entropy or it, the Morrisonian type thing, right? It, obviously, you don't read um, the Hulk either because the Modoc is also at odds with what's going on with Parker's um, Modoc story. All right, so so here we have this thing, and and also here's. Avengers is fucking edited by Tom Brevoort. Tom Brevoort is also editing FF, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a character that is serving purpose line in uh, a purpose in one storyline. Meanwhile, you've got double page spreads of these guys all sort of like whacking one another and talking about how awesome they are. And here you get a one shot where at the point where he pops up, I'm like, okay, so this is going to actually tie into what Hickman's doing, and since the wizard's here and you've got the intelligentsia, you've got this whole seed being lined of, oh, okay, so the intelligentsia are kind of like set, have set up a fake cult to be able to manipulate things behind the scenes so that nobody knows about them. I'm like, that's actually a relatively good hidden superhero critique of the way that, say, the Koch brothers or the conservative movement have been using, you know, the religious right as a way to postpone, you know, the the issues of basically the rich taking all the money, right? I'm like, okay, that's kind of a great idea. I thought, turns out it's not actually an idea at all because Brian Bendis is not paying attention to whatever anyone else is doing and fucking Tom Brevoort, the fucking editor is basically decided that, you know, whatever Bendis wants, he's more or less going to get so, and as you point out Modoc, who is here and doing things and saying stuff and kind of not exactly talking in character as far as I can tell is I'm just like, okay, so so basically you know, Brian Bendis, this issue was A, kind of disposable, except that it introduces an event that Bendis clearly cares about. B, shows that he does not give a shit about the rest of the Marvel Universe or the people working in it, except to the extent that it pleases him or interests him. For example, let me ask, and you would know, at the end, when Tony Stark is suddenly saying, like, oh, I've seen the future, Ultron's going to conquer us all, there's nothing we can do to stop it. I'm like, is that from early issues, earlier issues of Bendis' Avengers? Yes. Okay, because of course at first I thought, like, okay, That's from Fraction's Iron Man when he saw the future. Right, yeah. exactly. Exa- but- here's the thing, he didn't. It was Captain America saw the future, Fraction's Iron Man had the same creatures appearing in Tony's dreams. I know it's ridiculous, but that's the differentiator. differentiator. He actually saw it happen in Avengers. Okay, so right 
now keep in mind that uh, I'm not even going to get into the whole like, oh, this is like my jumping on point because it's a point one. I was just like that shit with Iron Man where he's saying that shit. It has no context. It comes out of nowhere. It could be it could tie into, like I said, having read Fraction's Iron Man stuff. I'm like, okay, so Bendis kind of like ignores whatever Hickman's doing and pays attention to what Fraction's doing because they're big buddies. And then I'm like, honestly, I don't think he's paying attention to what Fraction's doing. And the best part is, because I really am reading this comic as a new reader, I have no idea what's going on whatsoever. Like, I just, you know, you could assume that Tony Stark is, like, lost his mind and is chattering like a fucking monkey. You know what I mean? Like, there's no context for it, even as somebody who knows a reader. Just not even an editorial, not even a, like, the things that I saw back when blah, blah, blah. You know? Like, just real basic storytelling. You you want some sort of... uh... What Tony is referring to is the first arc of Avengers. Well, yeah. In a perfect world, the way that I was growing up, uh, yes, an editor's note. As time goes on, even just if he had said, like, you know, the first time when I was held captive by Ultron, you know, and my body changed or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, just a little bit. Just a little bit of giving us fucking something. But this is it. I, I honestly, I reading this book, I was really appalled because I got the sense of um, never have I really read a comic book that felt so much to me like sloppy fanfic. You know, it, except oh, you haven't read Bendis' Avengers. Well, and I, 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 I'm not even being sarcastic. Bendis' no, 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 Bendis no, no. Exactly. Avengers, and by which I mean. The title Avengers, not New Avengers or Mighty Avengers or Dark Avengers. I mean, the title called Avengers um, has specifically every single issue read like fanfic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I really, even, even the whole Space Knight thing where I was like, oh, hey, that's kind of a fine plot beat. Yeah. And then that, it just yeah, becomes that, a... that would have been fun if it was actually anything to do with the Space Knights. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But what it was was, I mean, that was such lousy reach around fan service. Like, honestly, that's like. It it was. And it was also a shout out to continuity, which, again, you know, does that count in the issue? It's meant to be new or friendly, but it is tying into all the cosmic shit. Like yeah. all the what's it called? Not Armageddon. Annihilation. The, the Annihilation stuff with the Space Knight thing is? Yes. How so? Last time Ultron was seen in continuity, he was seen in space leading the Annihilation Wave with Space Knights being involved. Wow. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, man, I, really? I, like, ultimately, that doesn't matter. But yeah, the, the fact that they make a point of being like, it's a Space Knights! No, it's Ultron. The Space Knight thing felt like, uh, it's just like fan service tease. Well, that's it. It's the sloppiest form of fan service tease. You know what I mean? Like it. It's. It's. I. I want to say that it's kind of the equivalent of, you know, paying an underage hooker to blow you and then saying something nice about her coat. You know what I mean? Like it really. You know what I mean? Like. I. I honestly feel like Brian Bendis has turned the Marvel universe into his glory hole, and he just like walks up to it and he and he sticks his schlong in the hole, and we're all supposed to slurp away, and then he says something like, "Yeah, well, you know, honestly, 
buy yourself a corn dog. You know what I mean? Like, it's just horrible. I honestly felt really appalled and sorry for the people who actually paid for this. I really did. I love the scene where, like, Spider-Woman has... I, I, I'm one of those people who paid for that, Jeff. <laughs> you, you paid for this book, Graham? Yeah, I bought that book. Oh, my God. Did you pay actual money? Yes, or like, I paid actual money. Uh, How do you think, no, do you no, think no. I normally pay for things in my comic store? I, dude, I don't know. Maybe some sort of... Maybe you groom them for a couple hours. I don't know. I just... I, just I, 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 was... paid, I paid cash money for it. Ooh. Um, because here's like I paid cash money for it, not expecting to like it. I paid cash money for it because I was really curious because I sure. heard Ben just talk about it. Right. And uh, this is exactly what a point one issue should be so far in advance. Um, and also because I've been told ahead of time, this is not what point one issues are sold as. Because mm-hmm. point one issues, I don't know if you remember, were sold as they're going to tell you what's going to happen in that book in the next right. year and will right. lead into the very next issue. Right. And Avengers 12.1 very clearly does not do either. Well, it it does sense that there's some sort of big Ultron thing, but it, which may or may not be happening in the Avengers title. Ugh, right, that's okay. just it. Like right. it leads into something that is happening somewhere in the future, yeah. which is not the point of a point one book. Yeah. Um, no. And so I bought it. I I paid real money, as appalled as you are, because I was like, I want to read this. It is in the store in front of me. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah, yeah. It was just. It was bad. It's really bad. I really think that 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 Bendis is just at a stage where, having checked out and and even hearing relatively good stuff about his first little arc or whatever with with John Ramuda Jr., I was like, uh, you know, I'll check this out. It's Hitch. Honestly, the only thing that I liked was the part where it looked like Sp- Spider Woman was shooting rays out of her butt. Like, that is about the only thing in the book that I liked. And the rest of it, like I said, there were, well, actually when they say, oh, it's a space knight, or when I thought the intelligentsia was going one other way, I mean, I don't even want to say that that, that's, you know, my own, like, you know, it's like, oh, I let myself get ahead of the story. I just found that it really had a degree of... It really shows that that all this idea of like having a, a shared universe or collaborators or whatever it's it's all just kind of crap, you know. Like again, there's that idea of it. It's like fanfic, but with barely any fan service. It just seems somehow sort of solipsistic and sad to me, you know. And so consequently, I found myself really obviously not enjoying it. <laughs> I also thought that I thought I thought Hitch's work is getting sloppy. Oh, I, I think Hitch's work is is. I mean, the only thing I can think in his favor is maybe he's working faster now than he mm-hmm. used to, like the Ultimates or whatever. Um, I think Hitch's work has turned into self-parody. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And well, in, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. In weird ways as well, not just mm-hmm. that like he has exactly the same pacing. He always ends like no matter what fucking book or writer he works with the story will end on a full-page shot of someone talking to the camera. Right. No matter what book, which is stunning. Right. Well, it's like, and I, are you unable to do anything else? Like, are you yeah. actually unable to do anything else? But, yeah, um, yeah. but also, I, and this is, this, this is high, I went to art school to talk, but um, have you noticed he's got a really bad bias? Like, everything is always slanted? Yes. And that's yeah, become I, much more noticeable lately, do you not think? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's become more noticeable because I'm a rube, but I do, I do like, 
the perspective on things just does not it doesn't quite gel anymore you know it doesn't look right in the way that it does in fact if you go back to that very last page where tony stark is talking you know it's the he's talking into the camera shot that you're talking about it's one of the worst ones that i think hitch has ever done like his tony stark just like he didn't he didn't nail the 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 perspective on the face correctly like tony looks kind of a little inbred and hillbillyish cuz they fucked up he fucked up the the shading and and actually the the definite the where the muscles and skeleton should be on the tony's on the left side of tony's face i guess you know his left not our left i mean just really i, I there's there's things where it's like where some of the reaction shots are like i'm like god is he tracing over his own work like he's starting to look like um what Greg Land in that way, I guess. Oh no, I think that's a really, really, really good analogy, a, a good connection. I, I, he really has turned into like the cross-hatching friendly version of Greg Land. Yeah, yeah, and so I just find that. I mean, honestly, like it's supposed to. I know what I know. What looking at a book that's Avengers and you know, Bendis and Hitch is supposed to instill. And I even get the sense of like, you know, Bendis made sure that there was going to be a lot of punching in this one. But I, I was kind of, I, like I said, I was really, there was something that struck me as kind of, um, it, it had some basic contempt for people at a level that made me distinctly uncomfortable. And like I said, pretty annoyed. I, I honestly genuinely think that he has been doing that for some time. Right. Right, well, which makes sense because I jumped off, but I really was. I'm like, if there was ever a point where you wanted to, you know, hand a book to somebody and be like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about and this is what's wrong. I mean, really, just, ugh, bleh, mm, not happy. So there we have it. Was that vitriolic enough? I, that I was, and, I, and you, you've actually kind of reminded me of something else I've read this week and the week I said, of course, I didn't read anything, and of course, <laughs> which is um, I read the... Uh-huh. Um, Heroic Age Collection. Now, did, wow. did you even know about the Heroic Age Collection? Uh, is it a collection of all the various one-shots that got released? No, under no, no, it's even better. Age. It's a collection of the first issues of Secret Avengers, Avengers, New Avengers, Avengers Academy, Hawkeye and Mockingbird, um, and Atlas, and a couple of the one-shots. Wow. Here's the thing. It's a collection of the first issues of those series. Right. So every story ends with, to be continued in blah, blah, blah. The book costs $25. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine paying $25 for that and not getting a complete story at all? Yeah, I know. I mean, that's like having read the first Vertigo, Vertigo did that. Yes, and they cut, they charge five dollars for it. You know what? That's a great price. You know what? Exactly. Price twenty five dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that is the that is the opposite of uh, of I don't know consumer goodwill. You know what I mean? That is just outright rube fleecing at that point. And the, I mean, idea, because the idea that someone actually bought it, and, and I, I'm sure people did. I'm sure they did, it, but it's again, appalling I mean, to me. I mean, it's actually upsetting to me. It's upsetting that they sold it for twenty-five dollars. It's upsetting that people bought it. It's right? That, that they printed and sold it. Yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. It's, it's yeah. terrible. And the other thing is, 
the one book that it changed my mind on because I, I was going to say I came away wanting to read like next chapters of maybe like two things but the one thing it changed my mind on uh, because I already wanted to read Atlas by Parker mm-hmm. in fact I already have read Atlas by Parker um, is Avengers Academy Avengers Academy is the one book mm. that reading that I'll be like oh I, I, I could I could see myself reading more of that Right, like right. the the lead in for Secret Avengers, and for Avengers, and for New Avengers, all of which I've read more of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're so I cannot imagine anyone reading them being like, "Holy crap! I've got to know what happens next." <laughs> I would, yeah. I would just be pissed. I would just yes. be angry. <laughs> I'd be like, "Wait, that's what I'm getting." Right. Why did I pay 25 bucks for this? Well, I do think I think that Marvel is, has come up with some idea or they have some concept again via their sales department which are, you know what, if we print this I can sell this to X number of librarians. Like X number of libraries are going to read this and stock this because it's a it's a volume 1 and it looks complete. And we'll just throw it in there and they'll never look at it and who knows maybe it'll drive other you know poor desperate kids who were once previously interested in superheroes away from the field forever so <laughs> that, that, I just $25 25 bucks just I know. feels beyond irresponsible to charge for it yeah yeah it really it feels does, cruel to charge for it <laughs> 